You found it. The home of red-blooded American patriots. The Patriot Review with Jeff Wagner starts now. Hello, Patriots. Welcome to episode 171 of the Patriot Review. This uh, episode is titled Third World Healthcare. We're going to have Gayla Pruitt back with us today. And uh, Gayla, as you as you may know, is a contributor to the Patriot Review. In other words, a guest uh, that's here more frequently. And uh, we'll talk to her about her experience, her and her husband's, her late husband's experience in American healthcare. And um, not so much of a focus on COVID has been as has been my focus uh, as far as healthcare is concerned for a long time with Breaking the Oath, a documentary that um, that I directed and produced. And then just with everything going on around COVID, that's been a focus for a lot of people. But uh, today we're going to talk about a particular problem, uh, specifically sepsis. So we'll have Gayla to, uh, to talk with us about that. And um, she'll be here at block two, which starts around 9.15. All right, so as this is coming up, I'm going to just read. So we have uh, appeals court striking down the forced respect of gender pronouns in schools, the First Amendment not undone by defining free speech as bullying. And uh, this uh, we welcome wholeheartedly as you know uh, there's all kinds of speech police out there and of course you can say anything you want when you are disparaging you know more than half the population when it comes to their faith and things such as that but how dare you not use the correct pronoun one out of who knows what the total count is by now but uh, so this uh, this is a, a good news case so, and it's out of the eighth circuit which is uh, kind of surprising but uh, so they blocked an Iowa school district from enforcing a policy that threatens to punish students with expulsion if they failed to respect the gender pronouns of their classmates so expulsion this is uh, they weren't messing around with this and again you know like the problem that people have uh, so much with the whole movement is that it's really forced down all Americans throats and if it, were, if it were anything else, it would be automatically attacked um, as unconstitutional, which it really is. And this is good to see. So the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals found the policy was at odds with the First Amendment and issued an injunction in favor of the group that sued to protect students from indoctrination. So the group was a nonprofit group, Parents Defending Education. They challenged the policy enacted by the uh, Linmar Community School District in Lynn County, Iowa last year. So Parents Defending Education describes itself as a nationwide grassroots organization working to reclaim our schools from activists imposing harmful agendas. The policy vowed to create a so-called gender support plan for students in the district who identify as transgender as well as gender expansive, non-binary, and all students who are questioning their gender. You know, for those of you that are in the school districts that may be watching this, um, your role is to educate our children, not to determine what their uh, what what they should be called in a social setting and everything else. This is this is way beyond uh, what schools are intended to do. And I don't care what your left leaning response to to that is uh, the the students are being really brainwashed and forced down this road in some cases as we've seen from past video clips and stuff this the teachers themselves are more concerned about the freedom to share their own sexual uh, beliefs and gender beliefs and everything else instead of teaching the subjects that they're there to teach um, in in some cases so this um, again, it was a good good result to see. So uh, the courtroom, though, specifically that uh, Trump's trial is is in, gets <laughs> gets some news as being really quite a dump. And uh, so 
soul of America is under attack, and it's evident from the decay of her body, the article says. Nothing could symbolize, could symbolize this more effectively than the New York courthouse where the civil financial fraud trial of former President Donald Trump is unfolding. The courthouse, I was in today, it was disgusting, Trump's son Eric said in a Wednesday interview with Newsmax. It smells, you had cables running across all the walls, it was a disgrace. This is a representation of our legal system. Most Americans agree that the legal system stinks. According to a 2022 Trafalgar poll, about 80% believe there is a two-tiered system of justice in America. If something looks and smells like it's dying, it probably is. And all we have to do, of course, is look towards the January 6th protesters who are still in, in jail in many cases and uh, have not had their day in court. Now, I just talked to Jake Lang this week, a couple days ago, and he will mark this month, he will mark his 1,000th day, and um, he has not, as of yet, had his day in court. 1,000 days. Now, that obviously is a violation of the Constitution. Uh, that is not a speedy trial. Uh, they are violating the rights of all those that are J6 prisoners as they let loose gangbangers and uh, former murderers and rapists and as the borders are wide open and as they continue to try to convince us that the J6ers had no right to be at the Capitol and they continue to look the other way when we ever we bring up the so-called summer of love and uh, they just attack us for doing so all right so <clears throat> eric went on to say you see the same thing at airports how often do you fly through an airport and you've got ceiling tiles that are falling down right it's not just airports we're running a two trillion dollar deficit and our bridge is falling down, and our roads suck, and our trains are an antiquated. You look at China, where they're building these bullet trains that go 300 miles per hour. We're falling behind the rest of the world. So this theme, this whole becoming a third world country theme for today's show, it's not just in the medical arena. It's, it's uh, in so many different ways. It's what we're seeing right before our eyes, and it's really sad. All right, so Trump's true social photo goes viral after he announces his willingness to be speaker. Uh, so before he was president, he was a successful businessman and media figure. Part of what made Trump effective in all of these roles was that he understood the power of being unpredictable while simultaneously dropping tantalizing hints about what he might do. Today or Tuesday's sudden ouster of uh, Kevin McCarthy created opportunities for Trump in true form. The former president and leading GOP contender in the 2024 race used hints about mysterious potential actions both to intrigue his supporters and to rattle the swamp dwellers of Washington. Gotta love that. So here is the photo. And if you're, if you're listening to this uh, on podcast only, it's got a picture of President Trump with his MAGA hat on holding up the speaker's gavel on a, well, he's in color and all that's in color but it's against a American flag that's in black and white, and it's the flag behind the speaker's chair. Uh, <laughs> I think it's uh, I think it's great. It, Trump, of course, says you know he's going to do whatever he needs to do and what's best for the country. He doesn't rule out being speaker. Um, I personally think that that would be a big mistake. Uh, I would love to see someone you know that uh, will will push to get things done, but. Um, uh, I don't think that, that Trump is best serving the public there. I think he needs to be president again, and uh, we'll look to that. Speaking of the election, Google is warning that political campaigns should prepare for AI-fueled cyber threats as 2024 elections approach. My concern about this is that this will become an excuse for nefarious actions that um, the election will not go our way and that the excuse will be that the AI threats have now replaced those 
countries such as Russia and China uh, when, in effect, in effect the, the elections are still rigged the same way that they were rigged in the past. So, you know, again, I encourage people not to listen to the message of voting early because when you vote early, they get the total count of what they need to offset. And um, I really, really stress voting in person same day. Uh, so another article here, no jail for you, Starbucks to close seven San Francisco location by the end of this month. And this is kind of a thing where it's, you know, more and more stories we're seeing that uh, the liberal fascists are seeing the results of their policies. Yesterday I talked about the unfortunate uh, gentleman who was murdered. And, um, you know, th this is just another example and more of a, a, a daily life example. And it couldn't happen to a better you know, company, in my opinion. I mean, they're a far left uh, company. And in my opinion, they're getting their just desserts. So you're going to see more and more stories like this. And, um, you know, I think it's going to wake more and more people up. We'll be right back with Gayla Pruitt. After we watched our daughter Grace die on FaceTime, I um, immediately felt that I needed to go to the hospital, even though I was still pretty sick. And I met Jessica and our pastor there. And um, while we were in the room, we, Jessica and I let us spend a few moments just with Grace alone. And it was, it was just a horrific um, sight to come upon. It was the fact that our daughter Grace was now gone. Um, the emotions that came over the top of our uh, minds and just our physical bodies were just unbelief. We, uh, we took her BiPAP off because it was still on. This was hope and prayers that somehow she wasn't really gone. And as soon as we did that, the color of grace changed. And, um, we had to accept that she was truly gone. Not one person stepped foot in that room. How can you do that? How can you allow an innocent person, a child, she's only 19 years old, die in front of your eyes? You don't do that. If you're human, you don't do that. They knew they weren't going to convince us to put Grace on a ventilator. That means the money was going to dry up. They had to have the money. And when you follow the money trail all the way through, you see that a ventilator is about a $300,000 decision. That they had higher paying patients in the emergency room. Grace was worth more dead than alive. We don't just need food, we need to eat food with a high nutritional value. Who wants to just survive food shortages? Let's thrive in times of adversity and lack. Optimize your daily nutrition and ensure you and your family have our two-year shelf-stable kingdom fuel as a cornerstone of your emergency food supply. Don't sacrifice your health or your taste buds. Stock up on kingdom fuel now. Ignore the thought police and subscribe or follow the Patriot Review. It's your patriotic duty. All right, I would like to welcome Gayla Pruitt to the show. Welcome back. It's good to see you again. 
you hear me all right? I think you're muted there. Yeah, I was muted. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, you got to do, you, I know, you know, that's my fault. You got to do that because um, otherwise we'd hear you over the commercial break and, you know, we don't want to hear you cussing and swearing and, <laughs> and all that in the background. Because I do that so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I bet. So how are you? I'm doing okay, but how about you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. It's it's an honor to have you here. Well, I appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So, you know, we talked a, uh, a while ago. I think a good place to start would just be reminding people about your story and Peter's story. And um, I, which... Uh, which I, I briefly mentioned, you know, in in kind of the the uh, comparison to so much talk has been going on around COVID specifically, and Peter's death wasn't really didn't really involve COVID, um, but it does demonstrate what I what I am describing as this move to towards becoming uh, our healthcare system becoming a third world healthcare system or healthcare system that is failing us greatly. So would you just like to, to briefly explain that and what ha what happened to you? Sure. Um, yeah, and actually, I almost think it's becoming a culture of death in our hospitals, especially for the very um, the vulnerable, the very sick and the old. And I think in some ways, our healthcare system, and this has been going on longer than I knew, has become thinking that they're, they're teaching, I think even in medical schools, that it's better to end somebody's suffering than to keep fighting for them. And I'm not talking about extraordinary measures uh, of, you know, doing things beyond what a person would want, but actually forcing this upon people. And I have uh, studies that say 39% of uh, doctors admit giving drugs to hasten death. So uh, to give a little more background, Peter was diagnosed with acute leukemia, in May of 2022, he went through three rounds of intensive uh, chemo and which very much weakened his system. But on August 1st, he was declared uh, acute leukemia free. Well, it was in remission, but um, he still had problems with low blood counts, which the oncologist that we had here locally said that could be a result of the chemo. And so he ended up back in the hospital because of his low blood counts and being weak. And while he was in the hospital, I believe he got an infection just from some of the protocols that were not followed at that hospital. Uh, we came home. I didn't know that. We came home for about three days. He ended up back in the emergency room and they transferred him to a much larger hospital. And, and that's when we found out he had the infection and everything kind of went downhill from there. I asked for complimentary treatments um, they um, wouldn't do any of them. They also did not give him the proper antibiotic as indicated from blood culture tests from the transferring hospital. So after being in the hospital for about five days, they finally figure out the antibiotic to use. And by this time, he's really sick. And um, two days later, though, his infection is gone. So had they intervened with a proper antibiotic, I, I mean, the outcome to me would have been so much better. Also, if they had done some of the complementary things, one was intravenous vitamin C and the other one is a substance called albumin, which is not, uh, it is part of a hospital protocol, I found out. It can be used in the hospital. Well, it was. Peter had had it two times before and it helped him a lot and they refused all that. He uh, went into septic shock and then I believe um, even after his infection was cleared, then they started giving him massive doses of IV fentanyl unknown to me and along with other sedatives. And um, he never regained consciousness and died on Monday. So, so there, there are definite parallels to what people are describing happened to their loved ones in COVID as in, for example, the use of ivermectin being, being uh an acceptable treatment method, but they didn't do that either. As a matter of fact, they they mocked people for wanting to do that, and there are some doctors that lost their jobs for that. Mm -hmm. So there are some parallels, and it's really the whole healthcare system in total. It's not it's not just a COVID issue. It's much larger than that. 
And um, this is what the this is what all of us were sounding the alarm bell about when Barack Obama and uh, Nancy Pelosi pushed through socialized medicine. And this is just kind of a natural extension of socialized medicine medicine that we have seen so many times in history of the in the history of the planet when countries take this on. And um, so I know you specifically though you were asking that the the treatment for the infection be continued and be addressed as sepsis, right? And and you had a battle even getting that recognition for a while there, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Well, they, no, they, they didn't have a problem with saying he had sepsis. They didn't really tell me that. And I didn't know what sepsis was. I had never heard of it. So I knew he had an infection and they told us that he was admitted late Friday night. And they told us, I believe, Saturday afternoon that he had an infection. And so, of course, that time he was not that sick and had they given him the proper antibiotic which was indicated from the test they got the results on monday morning and i don't know or they were faxed to them and i don't know what happened they don't acknowledge those results and so they continue to give him the antibiotics that did not address his infection and i could see him going downhill and so i asked for the albumin because he was having edema issues and they refused it and it had helped him so much. And later after he died, I, I find so much research about how about how much that would have just that one thing would have helped him. The vitamin C that that's, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I, didn't, I walked on you there. Um, yeah, I, that's what I'm thinking of. I think when uh, you had described to me the first time that that um, there were some conversations that you had had with the treatment and they said something about well we'll we'll know it's needed when it gets more severe mm -hmm. or something like that is that yes i'm sorry when i asked for that on sunday night he was admitted late on friday on sunday night um he seemed to be getting worse to me. I find out later they were also sedating him even that early, giving him sedatives, and I didn't really realize that. I know they were giving him something to kind of help him sleep at night, but when I go through his records, they were giving more than that and earlier than I knew. So um, so I asked for which, intravenous vitamin C. Which is, that's, that's what you do when you're doing end-of-life care. Oh, yeah. And right. I didn't know. Well, and by Friday, that's exactly what they were doing. Um, and I didn't know it. They're listing him terminal and wrote DNR without my permission or knowledge. And so, um, yes, when I initially asked for the intravenous vitamin C, there was a physician assistant and a physician in the room. And, and the first the physician said, well, I don't really have a problem with it. I don't think it'll do any good, but I don't have a problem with it. And I'm like, well, that's fine. Can we do it? And the physician assistant looked at him. He goes, well, unless the hospital has a problem with it. So they leave and they come back. Well, they don't come back. <laughs> so I have to ask again in the middle of the night, I need an answer, please. I would like an answer about the vitamin C. And so they come in and the physician assistant says, well, we can't give it to him. The pharmacy restricts it for septic shock. And I'm just, I can't believe that they want to wait until someone is that sick before they'll do that. And so I just look at him. I said, so you're going to wait until it's too late and then you're going to, to give it to him. And so um, obviously that wasn't even true because when they start giving people, it's called vasopressins, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but when your blood pressure plummets, that's one of the symptoms of septic shock. And so Wednesday, by Wednesday, they were starting to have to give him blood pressure, blood pressure medicine to keep his blood pressure up at a safe level. And no mention, no, well, I kept asking for the intravenous vitamin C and they kept saying no. And I didn't know that that was a definition of septic shock. This is all new to me. I had never even really heard of sepsis. I know we've all heard of blood poisoning, but we think that's sure. old world disease. And right. it's very, sepsis is very prevalent and it kills 350,000 people nationwide every year. And that's according to the Centers of Disease Control. One in three people wow. that die in the hospital had sepsis at one time, according to the Centers of Disease Control. And we're not hearing about it. And they're doing nothing different. They keep doing the same things, even though 30 to 40 percent 
of people die from it, and some estimates say as high as 80% when it develops into septic shock. So when people are asking for things that might save them, and it's complimentary, I wasn't asking for them to um, quit doing what they were doing, but add these things to strengthen him. And I had records to show how these things had helped him before and they ignored me. So when they continue to do the same thing, you know, what is that saying? When you do the same thing, you expect a different outcome. Yeah. It's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yes, they, they refused and said not until septic shock, but which, like I said, wasn't true either because he was in septic shock Wednesday and not until they list him, which I didn't know, terminal and dnr do they agree to give him some of the intravenous vitamins yeah that's a common thing too the dnr being being issued without the the consent of the uh, the spouse or the family member and even in the cases where you have uh, power of attorney i did have power of attorney yeah so they're not so that's common as well they're not uh, they're not really talking with people like they're legally obligated to do yeah, there was no informed consent. And I think because I did have yeah. power of attorney is why they didn't tell me some of the things they were doing. Sure. I would have said no. Right. Right. Because the whole, we've shifted into this mindset and you mentioned it at the beginning of um, really kind of a euthanasia mindset and, you know, what, whether someone is um, worthy of the treatment given their current role in society and their usefulness and we were hearing actually hearing people describe it that way so you sent me some slides so let's go through these um we're going to take a break in just a few minutes but uh, you have uh the first slide says that one in three people in the hospital die had had sepsis sepsis during their hospital hospitalization so you just talked about that yes the next slide we have is that it kills 350,000 people a year nationwide you mentioned that and that to me is staggering you know this is the united states and i think the i think that the the the, the level of disbelief is happening on so many fronts in america right now and the healthcare is just one of many but it's uh you know it's 350,000 people that um a large i think a large number of those had we treated things uh more proactively um, I wonder how many people would have survived that. And um, I don't know what happened. Do you, do you have comments about when this changed or, or what? Does this go back to, like I said, the socialized medicine structure and the Obamacare? And is that really what prompted the shift from doctors controlling healthcare to administrators controlling healthcare? Is that the problem as you see it or, or what? I, I'm not an expert on that, but I did read a, a very informative article from the Epic Times, and they talk about that, that basically Obamacare lays out for this diagnostic code, which anybody who gets a hospital bill, they'll see all these codes. And for this diagnostic code, there is this protocol. And if you vary from it as a doctor, then your hospital loses money. So if they lose money, who are they going to come after if you're the doctor doing yeah. that? And here you're this doctor with 350,000 plus loans. What are you going to do? You have a family. You're, you're probably, unless you just really are a fighter, not going to buck the system because you've got to take care of your own. And I think it's setting up doctors, even if they do care, I still don't understand how they don't stand up. But even if you do care, it's pinning them in a corner. So, yes, I think the whole system is also not just controlling patients, but controlling the healthcare workers that remain there. So many of the good ones to me that speak up have left. So when you go in the hospital, mm -hmm. there's no one there that actually will do that anymore because most of them have left they've tried to find something else because it's they can't keep doing it we're seeing that as well in our descent into the third world country status in our military we're seeing people in the military and people in law enforcement people in in roles that are being attacked by the left-wing fascists uh we're seeing people leave good people leave and just give up and uh, I'm, I wonder what the suicide rate is among healthcare workers, and if we see have seen an increase in that. And just I don't know, I, don't I haven't know. seen that. But um, you mentioned I would, I would, 
Go ahead. You mentioned the military and suicide, and I did do a documentary during the kind of the COVID height of all that. And the Navy SEALs, they were fighting, I think it's the Liberty Action Council, was fighting to help. There was a third, I believe, of the Navy, Navy SEALs that did not want to take the vaccination. And I believe a third of them had to leave. And I don't know the final outcome. I know our current president was wanting them to have a um, dishonorable discharge, which you know what that does to people. And and so, um, but that's one of the things the chaplains was talking about, that the suicide rate in our military was going to skyrocket because they had backed these people into a corner. And so, yeah, the people that question, even in our military, have left. And I don't know right. the suicide rate, but I do know I keep running into former medical professionals that are, uh, we had to have our roof replaced. And a gentleman who was a respiratory therapist was out here selling um you know, doing bids for shingles. He left. Wow. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the next slide quickly, and then we'll take a break here. Sepsis mortality and vitamin C, uh, and the D vitamin C connection. Forty percent of ICU septic shock patients have scurvy. Yes, um, Dr. Paul Merrick, and there's been a lot of other studies, and I do have them in my book. Um, but when we get sick, we don't make vitamin C. We're one of the few um, mammals that don't make it. And other animals, when they get sick, their production of vitamin C goes up. So the disease itself, disease processes or being sick really uh, depletes our stores of vitamin C. So it's like an acute scurvy. It's not something because we weren't eating enough. It's like our, vi our body uses it up. And when that happens, there's all kinds of cascading things that will happen. And there's a doctor, Dr. Paul Merrick, that developed the protocol that they finally did give my husband after they listed him as terminal and dosing with massive doses of IV fentanyl. And so I do have information in my book about that too, but there is a website and we can talk more about that, um, that they have a sepsis protocol. He has his sepsis protocol listed on the website. Okay, let's take a quick three minute break. If you wanna mute yourself, I'll be right back after this folks. Patriots, it's me, Wayne Allyn otherwise known as War. I have a very special announcement for all of you. My hit show, Wayne Allyn Raw and Unfiltered, is coming to the brand new station that's taking over the nation, Blessed News Network. God has opened a door in my life to be part of this amazing new Christian conservative network, live every night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on our channel on Roku TV, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, and streaming live on the Blessed News iPhone and Android apps. Tune in to watch me drive home the truth and dismantle the fake news narrative with big name nightly guests and exclusive interviews with all the heavy hitters you know and love. Become part of history as we make America godly again and launch the first faith-centered conservative broadcasting network where Jesus Christ is commander in chief of all of our stories and where truth and integrity really matter. Join me Monday through Friday on any of our platforms or on the Blessed News website, blessed.news, where you can stream all the shows for free, or you can sign up for Blessed Plus for even more access to Raw and Unfiltered with me, Wayne Allen Root, the hardest working man in show business. Thank you, and God bless America. Steel News will be joining the Blessed News Network 11 p.m. weeknights. I'm Ann Vandersteel, and I'm very excited to be a part of the programming put together by Jake Lang, 
Doesn't matter if he's behind bars. He's a January 6th political hero, as far as I'm concerned. And Steel News will be reporting the truth of everything happening, not only in the swamp, but around the world to help you put into context what's really going on so you can make the best decisions for you and your family. Steel News, 11 p.m. on the Blessed News Network. All right, we are back with Gayla Pruitt, who is the author of Vitamin C. You can uh, get her book on Amazon, and uh, you can go to her website, which is galapruitt.com. You can learn more about it. Got that up on the screen right now, Gayla. So um, if you want to say anything about your book, that would be great. Um, well, I wrote this. Um, I'm a researcher, and I wrote this after my husband passed, and my hope is it will help other people. And I know he would want me to do that. And so I wish I had had all the information that I have now after this. And that's one of the things with talking about sepsis. I just, I didn't even really know what it was. And, and um, one other thing about sepsis that we didn't mention, I think this just will kind of illustrate how deadly it is. Worldwide sepsis causes more deaths each year than prostate cancer, breast cancer, and HIV AIDS combined. And that's according wow. to the World Sepsis Alliance. So yes, I wrote the book Vitamin C. I have a lot of um, information about certain interventions that would have helped him. I also have information about some of the things going on with our healthcare system with some of the laws that are across the, the nation. And I have a nine point plan in it that I think would help hopefully restore humanity to our health care. I don't think people should be afraid to go to the hospital. And I've talked to yeah, so that's many what, people. That's what is, that's what's happened. I think. And, and the other thing that's happened is get off a topic for, for a second, but the, the other thing has happened is we can't trust our agencies anymore. We can't, we, we just can't. We can't trust the FBI to do what they're supposed to do or the IRS to do what they're supposed to do. It's all weaponized now. People are afraid. For example, uh, I'm going to have a special coming up on uh, sex as a religion. And I spent, I don't know, six months um, immersing myself, if you will, in, in the online culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, I tried to report somebody and basically found out that you know, you, there's not, there's just, there's not a dependable um, morality in humankind anymore. Right. And it's just, it's really sad. So I have a slide up now. It's uh, around half, 49% of the ICU patients with sepsis acquired the infection in the hospital. And that just goes to the, the, the old saying that hospital is a great place to go and get sick, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and again, I think a lot of it is the administration or the just the machine, the corporate medical machine, because the hospital where I believe my husband got the infection actually is a smaller hospital. And the nurses and the doctors, for the most part, were very caring there. But there was he had a, a pick line, which is how they delivered his um, chemotherapy. And if anybody's ever gone through cancer treatment, they know what that is. Sometimes people have a port, but his was in his arm. And on the end of that are little caps that are disinfectant caps. And this has been standard mm -hmm. care for 10 years. Well, the hospital administration of this hospital wouldn't buy them. And because we had come from a different hospital, I noticed the nurses weren't putting them on the end. And I'm like, where, where's the cap? They go, we've asked for them. They won't buy them. So he ended up having to have that changed while he was in the hospital. And I think that's what led to his infection. And had they had that, you know, those caps, a 40 cent cap, is someone's life not worth a 40 cent cap? But see, that's money. That's the, the pencil pushers. That's not the doctors mm -hmm. or the nurses making those decisions. And so, um, yeah, that's, I just, it's all about money anymore. It's a big, it's big business. And the people even working there don't have control over what they want to do and what they know is good for their patients sometimes. Very disheartening. It, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's unbelievable, I think, to, for most Americans to, to really realize the situation we're in here. So, And I think that's uh, part of the problem until it happens to you. You know, people don't believe you. I don't think people believe me with some of the right. things I say, but it, it happened. I know it. I know it's true. Right. I mean, you live through it. And unfortunately, I think that's what it's going to take. Some people are going to have to uh, be personal, 
personally affected um, by what's going on in the country, and more and more people are, including uh, just just before you came on, I did some news stories about um, things that are happening in large and big cities and to businesses and stuff that they're getting their just desserts for their their leftist fascism and uh you know it's sad to see because people are being victimized by it but they're they're almost you know they're being victimized by their own beliefs and by what they've asked for so i think that the medical side of things is only going to get worse and more we're going to see more and more of it unless people start demanding that this stuff change and uh, hospitals be held accountable so I do think COVID did shine a spotlight on what's going on. And I have met so many women that other than I wasn't isolated from my husband. He wasn't given remdesivir as far as I know because he didn't have COVID. Even though they listed that in his billing codes, had nothing to do with COVID. But they did put that in his billing codes. Yeah. So I don't know. But and held accountable. That is the problem. So many many, uh, state legislatures have set up laws that people can't hold them accountable. And um, there's people that don't even, I'm not really for taking legal action, but there's really no way people can hardly do that anymore. And so I feel like kind of like with the immunizations, if you feel like you can just do whatever and you're never going to have to answer for it, there's more uh, room for uh, abusing the system and and not treating people well. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So your next slide says the antioxidant uh, vitamin C was significantly decreased in patients going into multiple organ failure during all ICU days. Uh, So explain that. Well, that's kind of what I was, I mentioned earlier, how when our bodies, we don't make it. And so Mm -hmm. when they get stressed by um, some of the studies are starting to show that it sends us into what's called acute acute scurvy. And if you've ever, I had not read the symptoms of scurvy, but the scurvy symptoms and septic shock mirror each other quite a bit. And so um, Dr. Merrick made that discovery and he came up with that protocol, which has high uh, IV vitamin C and some other um, nutrients as well. And so um, no one tests for that. And that's what I, I even asked them when they kept refusing his vitamin C. I said, okay, then please test his level. They refused. And so Dr. Merrick was saying this should be one of the tests. When you go in the hospital, you should be tested for functional vitamin C level. There's no test. There was, they test for everything else. And I just think that's ironic. Something very simple like that. There's no test for it. And I don't know if there's a bigger I don't know that the doctors realize the bigger scheme of things because I did have one of the doctors tell me, I wish vitamin C worked. It's so cheap. We would use it all the time. And I think there lies the problem. No one's going to make a lot of money from it. So there's no research and things like that. I know going to my doctor that the doctor's ego gets in the way a lot. And they can't be a, a large number of them can't be told anything. And uh, they get even not only defensive, but aggressive with patients who, you know, they they seem to forget that, you know, damn it, this is my body and this is what I want to do, you know. So it's it's another symptom, I think, of what's wrong with our healthcare system. Well, we're not God. Uh, They're not God. And I think sometimes they get what's called the God complex. Yes. And, you know, and as I write in my book, you know, if, if, if a treatment doesn't work, they're still going to go home most of the time. The patient will not. And so, right. yes, I don't know why they don't want to work with the patient. I understand there needs to be some, but I, like I said before, I wasn't asking for them to quit doing, well, I didn't know some of the things they were doing to do that, but to add things to strengthen him. And when they don't have answers, as indicated by the high death rate, you think they would be open to new things. And the things I was coming up with were not things, these were what other doctors were saying were good things to do. So it wasn't just something I invented, but that yeah, they're right. egos, they're not going to, they're not going to listen. And actually, I think it does make them somewhat angry for you to question. I, I had that right. throughout oh, yeah. hospital stay. Not every, not all of them. To me, the more intelligent doctors realize you can't know everything. And they're mm-hmm. not so offended or threatened if you ask questions. 
Right, and I'm not throwing every doctor or nurse under the bus, but uh, there certainly are those that just can't be told anything. But So Dr. Paul Merrick uh, has got a sepsis care protocol, and I have that up on screen. It is at covid19criticalcare.com slash protocol slash sepsis dash care. So again, if those of you just listening, covid19criticalcare.com slash protocol slash sepsis dash care. And that is the protocol you were mentioning before. And, uh, and you, your comment just now was, even when other doctors put stuff like this out there, there's this resistance to it. And again, that goes back to the administrators being the one in control, doesn't it? Yes. Um, Dr. Merrick has been uh, vilified. And um, yes, also another place that it might be easier for them to find it, he did um, found with another, other like-minded doctors, the Frontline COVID Critical Care Alliance. And so if they look that up, do a search for that, they can look at protocols and the sepsis protocol. And you can even print off the whole thing, So, which is, I think, very nice and look at it. But um, yes, he developed this when he was, um, I think, in charge of the intensive care unit at Eastern Virginia Medical Hospital. And um, it was celebrated. His, uh, his sepsis protocol was celebrated. They even do a video promoting it. The hospital did. And I have a link to that in my book. But when he started to want to use this protocol for COVID patients was when he became, came under attack. And he eventually yeah. believed. And so, so many doctors have, and again, coming out of COVID. But uh, so here you have a slide, sepsis and albumin. It's it is a difficult or it's difficult to treat sepsis and septic shock in patients with low albumin. In that you have uh, it says doctors may need to give IV albumin instead of IV fluids, and you mentioned that a little bit. And so again, was this something that you you brought up during your time, or is this something you've discovered since? No, I asked for it repeatedly. Um, the only reason I knew about it was from the first hospital after when my husband was going undergoing chemo and he had horrible edema. I mean, it was awful. And he was a thin man and very in shape. And it got so bad in the first hospital that the physical therapist had to put a trash can underneath his recliner to keep his heavy legs from making the recliner sit up straight. I had to help him lift his legs. And like I said, he was in a very, very uh, good shape. And so um, one of the nurses mentioned it. She says, I'm surprised they haven't given him albumin. And I so I start researching while I'm there and I look and I could get on the patient portal at the first hospital, not the third one. And his level was low. So we repeatedly asked for weeks. The doctor refused and what albumin does is it pulls the water, the fluids out of your, it keeps it in your blood vessels. And so if you're low on albumin, it just, all your fluids go over your body. And so finally, a kidney specialist there agreed to do it. So, and it it was amazing how much it helped him. And then the second hospital, he started having issues again. And that doctor, he's like, well, we're going to do what I want to do for the first day. If it doesn't get better, we'll try it. At least he listened. And was and so the next day they gave it to him, it, it his edema went away like in, very quickly. So in the third hospital, he started having edema again. And I'm like, he needs the albumin. And they're like, no, it doesn't do any good. It's fleeting. It doesn't stay in the body. Well, I have discovered not just for the edema, but even for because your blood pressure drops. And so if well, your fluids aren't staying in your vessels, that's part of the problem. Well, let's just analyze that statement. It doesn't it doesn't do any good. It's fleeting. It doesn't stay in your system. Well, neither does morphine, but we give it to people for pain. Neither does any yeah, neither does anything. So the last slide you have sepsis mortality and low albumin. Uh, a meta-analysis showed that for every ten grams per liter decrease in serum albumin concentration, that's a mouthful. In critical ill patients, there was a 137% increase in in-hospital mortality. So, I mean, this is something that's been proven out. And again, it's the it's the administrators who 
who pushed certain protocols that uh, really end up killing patients, in my opinion. Well, and see, uh, albumin's natural, so they can't patent it. It's made from blood, and it's it's a natural substance. So I had a nurse tell me she doesn't know what happened because until five years ago, it was quite the normal thing to do. But then five years ago, they started saying, ah, results are mixed. And and she says, I don't know where that come, came from. And she said, I have watched it help patients repeatedly raise their blood pressure and they get off the vasopressors and, you know, recover. And I think even if they just done that one thing that I asked for, well, matter of fact, the doctor I only saw twice came back the night before he died. He brought up the albumin. So see, what I was asking for was not unheard of. And it was not something that they didn't do there. And he gave it to him. But the next morning, they took it away again. And by that time, I don't know, he was very sick. But um, yeah, they refused things that I don't understand why. But yet they were pushing, pushing, pushing the drugs and, you know, pushing to give him even drugs on top of the drugs. I said no to that, but and, and they basically committed fraud, in my opinion, by including the COVID uh, numbers on the death certificate, and uh, you know, just that ties directly to getting money. Yeah. Uh, every time they did that, which you know, I mean, uh, the it's not only about mortality; it's about morality, and yes. it seems like that uh, is is something that we really need to take a look at and um, come to terms with and speak truth. So we are already out of time and it, it goes so fast and we're having these conversations, very interesting conversation. I wanna just turn it over to you to, to wrap up your final thoughts and to let people know where they can go to find you. Yes, um, I just want, I hope the information in the book, and like I said, today we talked about the sepsis information, and which I didn't know, and I hope there's some uh, helpful information that maybe will save somebody else, and because the protocol is also for outpatients, so um, I'm not recommending any medical treatment one way or the other, but I do want people to have information. Um, my link to my book and other things is on galapruitt.com, and you can click on the vitamin C tab, which is S-E-E, and, um, but yeah, that's the reason I'm speaking out. I wish I had had the information I have now. And I am also fighting to change the system, hopefully where there's more free market in our medical system, which we don't seem to have at this time. Yeah, and sorely needed. Gayla, thank you so much again. We will see you next month on the show and we'll have more, more to talk about, I'm sure, as we go forward. And, um, you know, we're looking at, supposedly a resurgence of COVID and, you know, it's just continues to be a mess. So we appreciate you coming on and we appreciate your, your um, tenacity at addressing this issue. And I just want to say God bless you. And thanks again for being here. Thank you so much. Very much. Have a good day. Absolutely. Welcome you as well.